welcome to the sermon podcast for Ashburn Baptist Church, Chicago. We pray the message you are about to hear is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. That has quickly become one of my absolute favorite songs here at Ashburn. I love singing about the power and the mighty name of Jesus. And by the way, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you de- you're dealing with, God is enough. Jesus has what you need, and we're actually going to talk about that today as we're continuing and finishing up a series that we're calling Thirst. Everybody look to the person next to you and say, I'm thirsty. <clears throat> if you didn't say it to somebody, try it again on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I'm thirsty. Man, I'm thirsty. I started playing competitive sports at the age of four. That's right. Four years old, I started playing soccer. My very first soccer team was the purple team. We were called the Trailblazers. And as a trailblazer, I didn't know what that was. Still don't really know what a trailblazer is, but as a four-year-old, I was the purple team. I was trailblazers. (laughs) I played all the way through, even through college. When I got towards the end of high school, that was my best team, though. Junior year of high school. That was our best team. We won state. Not only did we win state, we won state against our rivals in overtime, sudden death, diving header. And for those of you that don't know about soccer, that's okay. It just means we won at the last possible second in the most dramatic way. But if you rewound about five months prior to that season beginning, you know, before the trophy, before the win, before the diving header, before hoisting that trophy over our opponent's head, before all of that, you'd find that team back in August running what we called hill sprints. Now on our campus, there was this giant hill. And kids, John, would come from miles to be a part of this giant hill. They would come from miles to sled down this thing in the winter. But in the summer, this was a form of torture for our team. We hated this thing. And we would always finish practice the same way. Coach would line us up at the bottom of the hill. He'd blow the whistle. We'd run to the top, run back down, run to the top, run back down, until he thought it was enough. And depending on how practice went, determine how many we ended up running. Some practices were rough. Now, I remember some of those practices where your sweat is dripping down your forehead, your muscles are cramping, you're just trying to catch a breath, (laughs) you're fatigued and you're frustrated and you're thirsty, waiting for that final whistle where he calls the team together, you can grab your water bottle and you can go home because you were tired, you were thirsty. You know, whether you and I know it or not, there are times in our life where we are thirsty spiritually. Not just physically, spiritually thirsty. And we are at the risk of being spiritually dehydrated. We find that there's only one thing that can satisfy that thirst. One thing that can relieve that suffering and that pain and that agony. And Jesus gives it to us in Matthew 5 and verse 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We discovered that he was saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me, for they shall be filled satisfied, complete, happy, not thirsty anymore. And we've discovered that Jesus is the source of our satisfaction. And he's the source of our happiness. But how do we tap in to that happiness? How do we tap into that water source? I think we find the answer in the Old Testament in a book called Isaiah. So if you have your Bible there, you can open it up to Isaiah 55. That's where we're going to be all morning long. Isaiah chapter number 55. We're going to start out in the middle of the chapter in verse number 10. where The Bible says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, 
but it shall accomplish which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Man, God just told us through the writer of Isaiah, he said, hey, if you're thirsty, I'm sending rain. If you're thirsty, I'm sending relief from the heavens. And as my word leaves my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will prosper. It will succeed. It will do as I sent it to do. So how do we satisfy our thirst? With the rain. With the word of God. God says, my words are like the rain that pour down from the heavens. So you who are thirsty, come and drink. Isaiah 55 begins the chapter with a lot of similar language that we've been using in the last month. Like, look at the first couple of verses. <clears throat> he says this. Come on. Everybody who's thirsty, come to the waters. You don't have money? Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread when you're hungry? Why labor on things that do not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me. Eat what's good. And delight in the richest of fare. I mean, some of this language is almost identical to what we've been using. Like at the beginning of every series, every beginning of every one of these sermons through the series, we've been saying, everybody look to the person next to you and say, I'm thirsty. We've been doing it from the very beginning. And Isaiah 55 says, hey, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Come and drink. I mean, this is identical language. Come and drink. If you're thirsty, find the water, find satisfaction, and don't labor in things that don't satisfy. Don't waste your time. The book of Isaiah was written around 730 BC. That's almost 3,000 years ago. And what's crazy is 3,000 years later, and we are still dealing with a lot of the same troubles today. 3,000 years later, and this book is equally as applicable to us today. Why, Josh? Why are we spiritually dehydrated? Well, Isaiah told us. He said, hey, why are you spending money on things that don't satisfy when you're hungry? Why are you working with all your might in putting your efforts into things that do not satisfy? Why are you wasting? Why are you wasting? Why are you wasting? And here we are 3,000 years later, and we can ask ourselves the exact same question. Why am I wasting? Why am I wasting? Why am I wasting? You see, if we're going to quench our spiritual thirst, we must stop wasting. Do you know the average American generates four pounds of trash every single day? We generate a lot of waste. <clears throat> One and a half tons of solid waste per year. Americans make more than 200 million tons of garbage every single year. That's enough to fill Bush Stadium where the Cardinals play twice a day. We generate a lot of waste, but we're also pretty good at living in it. You see, when it comes to our spiritual life, we, we, we waste things that God sent to us for our spiritual thirst to be quenched. And the first thing that we waste is we waste God's word. We waste it. I used to live in L.A. That's where I went to college, greater L.A. You know how every winter here in Chicago, we talk about basically two things, the cold and the snow? Like, everybody talks about it. Once you hit 30, that's all you can talk about. Man, it's cold, and it's snowing, and it's icy. Well, in L.A., what they always talked about is they talked about the drought. There wasn't rain. They obsessed about it. Their soil needed water. They needed water to be able to do what they needed to do, and there was not enough. Drought. They were thirsty. And I read an article from the L.A. Times in 2019. 
It was actually titled, California's Wet Winter Has Dumped an Estimated 18 million, excuse me, trillion gallons of rain in February alone. California's wet winter 2019 has dumped 18 trillion with a T gallons of rainwater in February alone. But they said most of it is simply going down the drain. And what's become a source of much concern in a state prone to droughts and water shortages, the vast majority of the rainwater in those areas flow into storm drains and are eventually lost in the Pacific Ocean. Mark Gold actually wrote this in the article. He's the vice chancellor of environment and sustainability at UCLA. He said, when you look at the LA River being 50 to 70% full during a storm, you realize that more water is running into the ocean than what LA can use in a single year. And then he finishes by saying, what a waste. What a waste. Hey, do you remember how God described his word in the middle of Isaiah 55? It's like the rainwater pouring down from the heavens. It will sustain. It will fulfill. It's like the rain pouring down from the heavens. Oh, it's available. But for a lot of us, it's simply being wasted. Like in the U.S., every single day, 168,000 Bibles are purchased. 168,000 Bibles a day in the United States purchased. Most of us have a smartphone. On mine, I have a Bible that's literally called Bible app. Does anybody have that one? You version? 100 million Americans have that exact same app. Oh man, the Bible is available to all of us, but we rarely use it and often waste it. Oh, it's available, but it's being wasted. We hear sermon after sermon after sermon. We read Devo after Devo after Devo. We go to small group after small group. We go to Sunday school. We've gone to Sunday nights back in the day. We've gone to Wednesday nights. We've listened to Moody Radio. We've read God's word on our own. And God has poured his word like the rain into our lives. But on too many instances, it's wasted. It's like finishing a hill sprint. The coach blows the whistle and you go over your water bottle and you open it up. Or rather than taking a drink, you just... Pour it out. What a waste. God has given us his word full of wisdom, full of hope, full of truth. And we hear sermon after sermon and Instagram clip after Instagram clip and Facebook clip after Facebook clip. But we waste it away. And we got to ask ourselves that question, why am I wasting? Why am I wasting what God gave for me to find satisfaction and hope And peace, you see, if we want to put an end to our spiritual dehydration, we must stop wasting God's word. we got to take advantage of the rain. Read the word of God. Study it. Listen to it. Listen to preaching. If you don't like mine, find somebody else. Take notes. Memorize passages. Think about them. Meditate on them. Soak them in. Don't waste God's word. I think on too many occasions, we waste God's word. God has given us so much truth in those pages. And we simply take them at our convenience. You know, I would say with this also, we must not twist God's word. This past weekend, as I'm sure everybody in this room knows, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And as I looked through my social media, I I saw people on both sides of the equation. And I saw all kinds of people using Bible verses. But what I often saw 
was somebody taking the word of God and using it to fit whatever they already previously believed. See, when I read scripture, I I find that God values all life. Isaiah actually wrote this. He said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Ephesians chapter number two, it says that we were created by God to be his workmanship. But what I saw with some of those verses being used, and I do believe that, I do believe that, I do believe that, but what I did see was a lot of Christians also throwing a lot of hate at the other side. And then when you read through scripture, you find kindness and goodness and patience and long-suffering. See, not only should we not waste God's word, we should also be very careful not to twist God's word. See, James says, be ye a hearer of the word, but not just a hearer, be a doer also. Do what you read, believe what you read. I heard a woman on a clip who said that I do not care what the Bible says. I don't care what Christians think. Stay out of my life. I'll fight for your religious freedoms, but you stay out of what I believe. And it's so easy. It was easy for me to hear what she said. It almost took me back. I showed Kara the video. It almost threw me off. But we do the same thing with God's word too many times. Oh, we say we believe it, but we don't live it like we believe it. We pick and choose what it's convenient for our life already, and we waste the rest. Man, for us to find spiritual thirst and satisfaction, we can't waste any of God's word. All of it's pure. All of it's true. All of it's good. We can't pick and choose what we like and don't like and then live accordingly. No, we must accept it all. Don't waste it. But not only should we not waste God's word, we should also not waste our time. Can't waste our time. (laughs) In the middle of Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he can be found. Seek God while he can be found. Call on him while he is near. He's saying, listen, there is a time where you can seek God and find him. And likewise, there is a time where you can seek God and won't find him. He says, there is a time when you can call on God when he's near. And likewise, there's a time when you will call on God and he is not. Time is such an interesting thing to me. Last night, we had a lightning and thunderstorm outdoors. A bolt of lightning last 45 to 55 microseconds. Not a lot of time. The average running shoe worn by the average runner running on an average surface lasts between 350 and 500 miles. A hard pencil, a number two, you can write up to 30,000 words with it. You can draw a line 30 miles long before it runs out. Leather combat boots in military during wartime, a lifetime span, they have six months. A 100-watt light bulb, those last about 750 hours. A $1 bill lasts about 18 months in circulation. Practice footballs, Joe, they actually only last two to three football practices in the NFL. Only about five hours of actual playing time. The projected lifespan of a baby born in the United States today, about 71 years. 71. 25,915 days. Now, the first seven years of those days is 2,555 days, and most of us don't even have cognitive memory of those years. Years one to seven, we don't have a lot of memories of those days. 10,950 days. That's how long I've been here on planet Earth. And if I'm blessed enough to reach the average age 71, well, that means I'm just about halfway done with my days. 
after I had Briggs, the number one piece of advice that was given to me by so many people, in fact, a lot of you gave me the same advice, was don't blink, it goes fast. Well, I blinked, and it's been 424 days. 424. He only spends about 6,570 days in total with me and Kara at home until he turns 18 and hopefully goes on to college. I remember when I turned 18, went to college, 6,570 days in. That was 4,380 days ago. You see, time is a gift, and it goes fast. We don't know how much time we have left. We could be gifted one more day. We could be gifted 15,000 more days. But whatever days we have left, we can not waste. Here's what James says about time. He says, hey, everybody who says today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What's your life? You're a mist. You're a vapor. You're a smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James saying, hey, you're making plans for tomorrow when all you have promised is today. One day, that day will be our last day. For it is appointed unto once every single man to die. Everybody faces death. It looms. And it strikes when we often least expect it. So why in the world are we telling God, hey, I'll start living for you tomorrow? We're, we're feeling like we have a lot of time left. And so we say, I'll get rid of that thing or I'll stop sinning that sin tomorrow. I'll start obeying God's will for my life tomorrow. I'll start standing up for what is right tomorrow when we do not know if we have a tomorrow. Today could be our last. Don't waste the time we have left. You see, there was, there will be a day where there will be no tomorrow, where we will die, where we will stand before God and give account for our life in its entirety every single day. We will not stand there with our friends and we will not stand there with our family. No, we will stand before God alone. He's going to look at how you spent every single day on this earth. And I'm worried a question that might be running through a lot of our minds is why did I waste it? Why did I waste it? Ashburn, I'm begging you not to waste your time. Time is a gift. It's been granted to everybody in this room. Do not waste it. Don't wait for tomorrow to do something that you can do today. Live for God today. Start reading your Bible today. Share your faith today. Love your family today. Seek forgiveness today. Give forgiveness today. Do not wait for tomorrow to do something you should do and can do today. You see, to quench our thirst, we must stop. We must stop wasting. Wasting God's word, wasting our time, but we must start you see, a lot of us are looking to be filled by God, filled with satisfaction, filled with happiness. But before there's a filling, there is a forsaking. This is what Isaiah says in verse 7. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to God so that God can have compassion on him. And God will abundantly pardon him. You see, some of us here are spiritually thirsty because we have not yet forsaken something. Isaiah is saying there are some wicked men and women. By the way, the Bible says we are all unrighteous, every last one. 
And I think that there could be some people in a room this size with somebody who's still holding on to a sin that they should be forsaking, turning away from, abandoning, leaving. See, we're reading our Bibles, but we're not experiencing the rain. It's because we're holding on to something that we should be forsaking. We listen to preaching, but we don't feel fulfilling from the Word of God, and it's because we're holding on to something that we should have let go. We will never experience a a filling if we haven't yet forsaken. In 1982, ABC News reported this new modern piece of art. When I read about it, I couldn't believe it was true, but it was. It was a chair with a shotgun fastened to the other side of it. That shotgun was loaded, it was set to a timer. At some point in the next 100 years, it would go off and people would actually take turns. They were lining up in lines to sit in this chair and risk their life with a gambling purpose that they would make it and not be the one that that gun would go off on. I can tell you right now, if that piece of art was in this room, I would not sit in that chair. No chance, no chance. But some of us who have that same attitude holding on to a sin and that's like sitting in a chair with a shotgun facing right at you saying it's not going to go off on me this isn't going to catch me yet God says this he says sin lasts for a season when that season's over there will be death there will be destruction there will be consequence don't waste your time holding on to a sin that God meant for you to forsake Don't hold on to something that God meant for you to be free from. Forsake that sin. Find forgiveness in Jesus. He has compassion for you. He will abundantly pardon you, Isaiah says. It's like standing before a judge and you are guilty of the crime they're telling you that you committed. And all of the evidence is there and it's stacked up against you. But Jesus stepped in. He took your place died your death and now God grants you freedom from that frustration don't hold on to what Jesus died for don't grip tightly to the thing that Jesus gave his life for you to be free from forsake it start forsaking hey if you want to quench your thirst you gotta stop wasting and you gotta start forsaking and then Isaiah finishes it up and this is important (coughs) he says keep trust me. Stop wasting, start forsaking, and then keep trusting. I love this reminder from Isaiah in verse 8 through 11. He says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. By the way, somebody here could just pray that today. And I know. Somebody in this room could just pray that over and over again. God, your thoughts aren't my thoughts and your ways aren't my ways. You'll find comfort in that says that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that it goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish all that I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know, for the person going through it right now, and I know in our church, there are people going through it. Man, even this week, I've had conversations with people that are in some of the biggest trial and struggle of their entire life. For the person who's thirsty, for the person who's looking for God, for the person who's looking for answers, remind yourself today, God's ways aren't my ways. 
His thoughts aren't my thoughts, but his words, his words will never return empty. They accomplish everything that he wills, and our God always has our best intentions in mind. Just keep trusting. His word is pure, it's true. It never fades away, it never fails, it never returns empty. Keep trusting God's word. I heard a story in the 1930s. <coughs> 250 men were holding on to a dirigible, it's like a blimp. They were, the 250 men were wading it to the ground, but a sudden gust of wind came and took that dirigible and the nose of it took off and all 250 men were holding on to the rope. Very quickly, some of the men realized what were happening and they let go of their rope safely to the ground, but some tried to hold on. As the dirigible continued to climb, now not tethered by any men almost, some of the men actually lost strength and fell to extreme pain or even death. There was one guy, though. For 45 minutes, he made it. He was finally rescued, and he talked to reporters after, and the reporters wanted to know the question we all have, like, how did you hold on to the rope that long? He said, I didn't hold on to the rope. When I realized what was happening, I just tied the rope around my waist and I let the rope hold on to me. You know, some of us today have been given some bad news or some frustrations. We're thirsty and we are trying everything in our power to find spiritual satisfaction and hope. We're desperately holding on to the hope of God. I want you to know today it's okay to take a little break. you feel like you have to hold on to God, I'm telling you right now, God is holding on to you. It says that he holds the whole universe in the span of his hand. For those of us that are saved, the Bible says that he actually holds us in his hand and nothing can pluck us out of his hand. Some of us are desperately trying to hold on when all we really need to be doing is be held. Instead of trying to hold on to God, just let God hold on to you. He never, ever, ever loses his grip. He never runs out of strength and his word never fails. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any prayer requests or questions about your spiritual life, we would love to pray for you. Or if you would just like information about visiting us in person, please email us at chicago at ashburnbaptist.com or visit our website, ashburnchicago.church.